Hey friends, you're listening to the We Yogis podcast with me, Jocelyn K. Levy, mother of We Yogis and my little girl. This podcast is for you, parents, teachers, any of you kind souls that love the kiddos, where I'll be sharing some insight on how to bring yoga and mindfulness to children. Yay, We Yogis! Hey friends, this is Jocelyn, and I'm so excited to be here with you for another We Yogis podcast. And today I have a very, very special guest, my dear friend Jennifer Brummett, who is also a specialty teacher for my 95-hour children's yoga teacher training. And um, hi, Jen. Hi, Jocelyn. Thanks for having me today. So excited to be here. I know. I'm so excited to have you. And um, listeners, you probably remember Jen too, because we did a calming kids um, meditation podcast where we did a whole, like the spaghetti visualization. Um, and so, yeah, if you rewind and you want to get relaxed and calm and get your little one relaxed and calm, you could hear that podcast um, on our podcast. Um <laughs> So anyway, so what we're talking about today is what we go over and teach in our module two, which is We Yogis Connect. And I named it We Yogis Connect and the album We Yogis Connect because it's all about how do we truly connect? So it was how do we connect to ourself, our body and mind and subtle body? So we go over anatomy, we go over chakras, we go into the ins and outs of that good stuff. And then also how do we connect to the moment? So we go into mindfulness. And then also, most importantly, which we are talking about here, how we connect to each other. And that goes into all the ins and outs of working with kids with special needs, which is your specialty. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so I decided I wanted to break this up in two podcasts because when we're talking about kids with special needs, there's a lot, a lot of information. So today, what I would love to do is break down um, some of the special needs that yoga teachers and teachers out there might see. Um, I know when we're talking about special needs, you know, that could be a very big, 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 broad um, topic, you know, um, physical to developmental to behavioral. Um, but I guess I want to go over the ones that are in our module too. So then you could also remind me and we'll remind each other. Um, and then we will take it from there. Does that sound good? That sounds like a plan. <laughs> okay. Awesome. So where do we begin? So in this module, we are focusing more on what? We are focusing on behavioral and emotional, correct? Yep, yep, behavioral, emotional. And we do touch slightly on um, some um, what we call IDD, intellectual and developmental disorders. Um, but that's a very broad category. Um, so in module two, we, we limit it a little bit more to uh, what most people know as the autism spectrum disorders. Um, and then we'll talk about the emotional and behavioral um, disorders that are more frequently seen 
um, and, and more widely known. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. Um, so I think I'm just going to jump on in and I'm going to ask you about special needs as if I don't know much. And then um, I'm also going to ask you to give me some signs and maybe ways that we could identify them um, with each disorder. So how about we start with dun, 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 autism? Okay, autism. Well, a lot has changed recently, Jocelyn, um, with autism disorders. Um, up until the last few years, there were a lot of different what we call classifications of autism spectrum disorders. Some people that are listening today may be familiar with the term um, Asperger's disorder. Um, they've probably also heard autism. Um, well, recently, about the last two years, the American Psychiatric Association decided to put all of those related disorders under one large umbrella. So we don't really use the term Asperger's disorder anymore. What happens now is that we see kids and young people and adults of all ages that fall under what we call the autism spectrum. So, and this, it's called the spectrum because no two people that live on that spectrum look alike. Uh, they're very unique and individual. And um, some of this population is really high functioning that may have very, very mild symptoms. Um, you may not even know that you have a child or a young person in your class that uh, lives on the spectrum. Um, but then we also have some that live on the other end of the spectrum that might have more uh, significant symptoms and limitations, um, all the way to um, not being able to verbally communicate um, that, or um, really maybe being more of the isolated um, symptoms. So that's kind of the autism spectrum is you may not even realize somebody's living on the spectrum too. It's good to know if they are because we want to set realistic expectations for our kiddos in our class. And if we know where they lay, where they sit on that spectrum, we can make a, a, a safe environment for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing that pops into my brain when I go into um, preschools and kindergartens and just thinking about a new teacher, by this time in that certain age bracket, are, is autism already identified? Yeah, typically, um, I mean, there, you know, by no means everybody is, is assessed at a young age, but uh, autism can be diagnosed as early as I think around 16, 18 months of age now. Um, some folks though that are on that high functioning end may live all the way through their childhood and into early adulthood without even having a diagnosis because they are so high functioning. Um, so for kiddos in elementary school, preschool, um, if they have been assessed and identified as living on the spectrum, you're probably going to see more, um, more severity, uh, more symptoms, because that parent has, or caregiver has said, oh, wow, something is, is different about my child, and I took them to the doctor and we got them assessed. Um, but higher functioning, those, those kiddos may fly under the radar for a while. Um, so. I think that answers your question that, that usually you can see it early on, depending on how severe the symptoms are. 
Yeah, yeah, that does answer my question. Thank you. Um, with autism, for a kiddo that might be a little bit higher on the spectrum, what is maybe a um, scenario that of a kiddo in our class that might, you know, something that we might be able to see as a teacher? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. Um, typically, folks on the spectrum um, might have difficulty connecting with their peers. Um, so they, you might see a kiddo that likes to be separated from the larger group. Uh, they may be able to keep themselves entertained. They might not be interested in what all the other kids are doing. Um, another, another thing to no notice is eye contact. When you're approaching that kiddo, they may not feel comfortable making eye contact. Uh, really, that's a social cue. So these kiddos who live on the spectrum have some, some social, uh, social challenges. They would rather be by themselves than with, with groups. Um, also, I know Jocelyn's classes are so much fun and we take great adventures and go into our imagination. Um, kids on the spectrum think very literally or black and white, and they have a hard time imagining being anything but themselves. So, you know, you, we might be going on a safari adventure and all of the kiddos might be picking an animal they would see on a safari. And you might have a kiddo that says, well, I can't be an elephant because I'm not an elephant and I don't act like an elephant. So the imagination play might be a challenge for a kiddo that's living on the spectrum. Um, something else you might see is a uh, focus on um, a, a thought or a, a really, really intense interest in something. So a kiddo that I used to know really, really, really loved office supplies. <laughs> And so he would carry around an office supply catalog with them. Um, but that's, that's kind of fun and unique. And as a teacher, if, the, if you know that about your kiddo and you get to know them, you can always use that and blend it into the class. So, so it becomes more of an inclusive activity. So instead of going on a safari, maybe you take that safari to the office supply store. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's what we're really trying to do when um, when I'm even talking with you now for the teachers out there listening, learning about, you know, different kinds of special needs is like, how do we make our class and our sequences inclusive? And that's our that's my passion as a teacher. And that's our job as a teacher is like really including each kid. Um, so yeah, thank you for, you just chimed me in with the inclusive and I was like, yes, that's why we are here. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and really with the, with the autism, um, kids on the autism spectrum, they might not want to be included and that's okay. Yeah. Right. You know, you can keep doing class and just check in with them. They're there and they're as present as they can be. So just keep that in mind too. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like an important thing in that is even if um, they don't want to be included, like you were just talking about a kid with um, office supplies or like the magazine of the office supplies. Sometimes a lot of teachers, new teachers could take things personally and be like, I need to get rid of 
that office supply magazine or, you know, why aren't they paying attention to me and try even harder, um, which in turn, if you take away the office supply magazine, um, a huge um, breakdown could will happen. So I feel like it's just good for you know, when I'm thinking about inclusive, they might not be inclusive in the way that we think about with them like joining and playing, but inclusive that they're actually okay with their office supply magazine and hanging out. And they're probably watching you at moments and then, go, you know, having their security in their magazine, um, you know, and they might, and they're, they're having a ball. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's kind of like, you know, when we have, when we have kiddos bring their teddy bears, right? Cause it creates a sense of security. Uh, kids on the spectrum might bring a dinosaur or might bring an office supply book. Yeah, that's okay. Yes. And um, I will say for teachers listening that next week we will go over specific exercises and sequencing for um, each special need that we're talking about. So just, I know we're going to just, you know, big, big cover and quick cover of, um, of these special needs, but we will go into more detail because there, there is definitely a way of sequencing that's different from typical sequencing. And there are special games that we want to play and be mindful of. All right. Um, did we miss anything? Anything else you want to add on the... Um just when when you're thinking of sequencing and um you know when you have a group of kiddos together sometimes it gets loud something to keep in mind for um kids on the autism spectrum they may have sensory issues so what doesn't sound loud to you might sound loud to them um and what feels good to you like a nice fuzzy sweatshirt might feel like sandpaper to them um so it you know, if you're working with a kiddo, you might just want to ask them, does that feel okay? Um, is it, is the music okay? Is it too loud? Um, you know, or you might just want to practice a class of everybody's talking in a whisper. So just keep in mind that they may have some sensory um, overload going on. Um, and if that happens during your class, there are things that you could do to help calm them down and separate them from that um, triggering environment. Yeah, I mean, sensory issues is a good thing to remember because I remember a kiddo just being really sensitive to the lights and he was on the spectrum. And so me just knowing that um, helped me in a very huge way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some, I read somewhere that um, those lights in schools, um, the fluorescent lights, Yeah. Um, a kiddo once told me he could hear the, the, the lights going back and forth. He could actually hear it. Oh yeah. Like, shoom, shoom. So, you know, if you're teaching in the school, that's something to be aware of. Yeah. So. Which is, which is so hard, you know, because a lot of times in the school system, we're just unfortunately, you know, cramming a whole bunch of kids into this one very set way of being. And like, as we are talking about here um, with kids on the spectrum or kids with anxiety, which we're going to get into, um, there's a lot of things that um, I wish, you know, we could be a little bit more mindful of. And when it comes to sensory stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, um, we are covering the spectrum. How about we go staying with alphabetical order? How about ADD and ADHD? Okay, so for those of you who might not be familiar with it, ADD is attention deficit disorder. 
And then there's attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. Um, this can be diagnosed in early childhood, um, but let's be very careful. Remember, kids are very energetic by nature, and they also have attention span challenges just by nature. So we don't, we want to be careful not to overlabel. But kiddos that really do um, live with ADD or ADHD, um, they're, they're going to be above that baseline or above that, that normal. Um, attention deficit, you're not going to necessarily see the physical energy, but they're going to have a hard time staying focused on one task. Um, they may become disruptive because they're moving on to the next thing um, before the rest of the class does. Um, when you have a, a kiddo with ADHD, you've got the attention deficit, but then you've got the hyperactivity. So that, that kiddo's going to be bouncing off the walls and potentially around subjects. Um, so if you have a kiddo in your class that is living with ADD or ADHD, you may want to make sure you have backup activities because they, you may need to shift through them. Um, quicker. Um, what else do you want to know about ADD? Hmm, I mean, that, that basically covers it. I mean, I feel like when people, um, you know, those two acronyms of ADD and ADHD always get kind of just thrown in there and um, just mushing together. So it's good that how you broke them down. Yeah, the energy releasing is really fun for this, for this group. And I know Jocelyn will talk more about that when she talks about sequencing, but keeping that in the back of your mind, if you've got a large group with a couple of kids living with ADHD, energy releasing is really helpful. Yes, please. <laughs> and um, you know what, something you said there was so on point. You said not something about labeling. And um, as we are talking about these topics, I think it's so important to remind teachers that we are not here to diagnose or to label in any way, but this information is just there for us to, um, for, for it to help us. Um, and yeah, but please don't label or pretend to know, you know, like, I don't know anything. You know, I always say that at the beginning of my trainings that I, I'm just here facilitating and we're all learning from each other. So just never to pretend that you know anything. Um, and parents, a lot of parents are, especially if you're working with the younger kiddos, some parents are very sensitive around um, their kids having a special need. Um, so just knowing that as a teacher and being sensitive to that um, because you might write on a waiver please list any special needs or disabilities and sometimes parents won't write it down um, so just being just knowing that sometimes that happens and it happens a lot just because parents don't want their kid to be treated differently um, unfortunately it kind of does them a disservice because then we can't help them and we don't know about their special need and then we can't cater to their special need but i would always have that as a teacher on your waiver you know please list any special needs and disabilities and hopefully um if the parent has done some loving and processing around it they'll be able to um, talk about it with you great point and something else jocelyn your listeners might notice i'm not using terminology like 
this kid is ADD. Um, we want to make sure our kids understand they're more than their diagnosis. They're more than their special needs. And I had a, a lot of kids tell me a long time ago, I am not my disease. I am not my disorder. And even just small tweaks to our terminology can help parents feel at ease when we say your child lives with ADD, but they are not ADD. Yeah. Um, so it's respecting the authenticity and uniqueness of each child. For sure. No, it's, and it, it's, I think it's good. It's easy for me to remember in the way of it's something that you have. You know, so talk about it as something that you have, not something that you are. Exactly. You know, same thing if we were talking about emotion. You are not, you weren't rude. <laughs> are you, what is it? What am I trying to say? Um, you are not, I mean, Jaya talk around this a lot of like, you know, it's not like you are rude, but maybe you said something in a rude way. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> um okay thank you thank you all right since we're moving swiftly through and i want to stay in alphabetical order for some strange reason today that's um, okay <laughs> um i guess I'll, let's let's do a little jump into anxiety disorders um i know i just kind of brought that up for a minute even when we were talking about the spectrum when it comes to sensory um, sensory stuff and stuff and sensory overload. But yeah, if you could just talk about anxiety disorders, that would be amazing. Yep. So anxiety disorders are kind of like the autism spectrum. So it's a huge umbrella term for a lot of different things. Um, and as your listeners probably know, sometimes things happen in our lives um, situationally that make us anxious, makes us feel anxious. So you can have a situational anxiety like something's going on with that kiddo right now and they may not have a long-term anxiety disorder, but they have a situational, you know, what's going on right now with a pandemic. A lot of kids are, you know, showing symptoms of anxiety. Um, but then you can go all the way to the other end of the spectrum where anxiety can be ex extremely debilitating um, into things like phobias. Um, there's things like agoraphobia, which is the fear of leaving their home. Um, there's phobias for all sorts of different things and it becomes debilitating. And then there, there's things in the middle. Um, there's generalized anxiety disorder where, you know, I just feel kind of nervous all the time. Nothing particularly triggers it. Um, or you could have um, panic disorder where, you know, something triggers your anxiety and you literally go in, you feel like you're having a heart attack or you're dying. And, you know, if you put a kid that has some social anxiety into a large group, um, they could end up having a panic attack because it's such a triggering moment. And panic attacks become very debilitating. And especially for kiddos, they don't know what's going on. Um, you know, you can see somebody get maybe very aggressive all of a sudden, or a kiddo that's having a hard time breathing or saying they feel like their heart's pounding out of their chest or tunnel vision. They may just start screaming and crying. Um, and sometimes you're not going to know what triggers that. Um, so anxiety can look a lot of different ways. Some people just live with a low kind of, I'm just nerve. I feel nervous all the time to, I, I am so anxious. I, I literally can't leave my house. So, you know, when you're thinking about kids, 
um, you know, in a group setting, if they have social anxiety, you might want to talk to the parents about maybe doing something in a smaller environment um, for them to manage their anxiety. But I'll tell you, We Yogis is a great um, intervention for anxiety because our mindful activities, our breathing activities, all of those things that Jocelyn teaches really can make a huge impact on a kiddo's ability to manage their own anxiety. So. Mm, thanks, girl. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I'm very transparent about my own anxiety through my lifetime. And, um, and that's really why I do this work. I feel like it's so important to help minds <laughs> relax the monkey mind. Hence, um, hence little monkeys song and all the little songs that I write about how do we really um, create space and you know module two we yogis connect how do we be in the moment um, so thank you yeah um, you know and I know that next week we are going to go over sequencing and games but there was also a podcast that I did in season one which was um mindfulness exercises focusing on seeing and hearing mindfulness exercises and i do talk about anxiety um and in that episode i really go into the mindfulness um, exercises of seeing and hearing that really help with panic attacks so that might be something for listeners to rewind and um, take a listen to if you're dealing with kids um, with a lot of anxiety or panic attack disorder. And Jocelyn, if I could just add, even if you're working with adults too, right now with everything that's going on in the world, we're, we're just more anxious by nature. And you know, what Jocelyn has, has taught the kids, I actually use the same activities for adults I work with. So, um, Think about that, teenagers, adults, it, they're, great, they're great tools that can be applied to any age. I'll tell you, I, I use Sound Adventure for a group of professional counselors, so <laughs> they loved it. Oh, I mean, but you know what? It's funny, because so do I, you know, when I go into these corporate settings, we're like, oh yeah, we just need to get back to the basics, get s silly, and help people get out of their head, you know? Yep. <laughs> um. Yes, there's something I was going to say about that, but I forgot. Um, and so I think when we go into some of the anxiety disorders, do we talk about depression in module two? We do. We do. I, I tend to put, um, put those under the mood disorder umbrella. Mm -hmm. um, so like we've talked, there are spectrums and under the mood disorder, we can go from you know, just a situational depression, all the way to like debilitating major depressive disorder that is a lifelong battle um, and challenge. Um, and then there are things in the middle, and I'm sure your listeners probably have heard of the term bipolar disorder. Um, and bipolar disorder looks a lot different in children and adolescents than it does in adults. So if you're watching a television program and somebody says they're living with bipolar disorder, there's two sides of that. So there's the depression and then there's the mania. And some of the symptoms of mania that you might know about in popular culture is, you know, excessive energy, um, not sleeping, um, spending a lot of money, making decisions that are really not 
the normal decisions you would make, making risky decisions, risky behaviors. But I wanna make a note that in children and adolescents who are living with bipolar disorder, and there are a few different types, and I'm not gonna go into that, I just want everybody to know that that manic phase can look very differently. And um, in a lot of my experience, especially with preteens and teens, it tended to look more of anger than that excessive energy. So it would be kind of like that explosive anger out of what appears on our end to be out of nowhere. So um, just keeping that in mind that there's, there's two sides for a kiddo living with bipolar disorder, that they, they may be very depressed um, for a couple of weeks when they come into your class, and then all of a sudden they may come in and they're really angry for a while. Um, that's what we call their cycle. And um, it can go, it can cycle rapidly, which means literally hour to hour, or it can be over a course of a time, period of time. Um, but a lot of people that um, get the formal diagnosis and um, are seeing counselors and doctors, it's very, this, this bipolar disorder is very manageable with, with medication and therapy. And so you, your kiddo might come in with that diagnosis, but you're not gonna see any symptoms because they're managing it well. Yeah, could you actually, because I know that it comes up a lot, just say the difference between bipolar one and bipolar two. So bipolar one tends to be um, more severe. Um, and now you're gonna. I mean, so those really strong manic phases. It's yes, like... bipolar one is tends to be more manic and it is a more intense um, symptomology. And then bipolar two tends to present with more depression and the, the mania, and I'm using air quotes because it looks differently, um, can be very short-lived, um, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. And so just knowing for teachers out there, um, bipolar one is like the most extreme where you, you know, someone could have like a manic phase. And, you know, if you're dealing with teenagers, we work with um, a lot of group homes with we yogis, but you know, the manic phase could be like, running around naked for two days thinking people are following you you know it could be something that extreme whereas like bipolar 2 is more of like having the huge like just different mood shifts and like going from high and low but maybe not like so much of the mania right yeah yeah uh more of that depression isolation hopeless feelings of hopelessness and despair yeah so. um and I can't recommend enough for teachers and parents that are listening. If you haven't read any of Daniel Siegel, um, <laughs> he is, um, you know, an amazing, amazing, amazing psychologist, writer, um, you know, studies the ins and outs of the brain and has done so much work with kiddos um and well families in general i mean he he started off really working on attachment styles with parenting and kids but really using mindfulness to help um with a lot of uh, mood disorders and he has done amazing amazing things so i cannot um i can't 
I can't, what's the word? <laughs> I can't um, give him my biggest recommendation. You just really need to pick up some of his books. Um, just as a parent or teacher in general, Whole Brain Child is one of the books that I always recommend in my teacher training. Um, and the thing that I love about it, I actually have it in my bathroom, is that in the back there's, um, it's like index where it's like working, you know, working with kids zero to three and then it's like if this situation comes up he actually talks about how to deal with it um and then he's like working with kids three to six and so he really breaks it down and i i definitely have gone back in there um you know as a mom and just being like okay we're dear we're dealing with fears right now <laughs> um and we're dealing with tantrums right now he's just he's just so brilliant on um on just all of his research so i can't recommend that enough all right. Um, so, uh, da -da 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 -da. what else? Do we cover anything else in module two? Um, trauma. I think trauma is um, well. Well, in the diagnostic and statistical manual, we call it post-traumatic stress disorder, and this really came about um, more from the adult side when they started doing the research uh, with war veterans coming back. Um, but our kiddos can live with PTSD. Um, and when we think of a trauma, I think it's really important for us to remember that it doesn't necessarily need to be something that happened to our kid that, that's in front of us. It could be um, something that they witnessed. Um, it's really a perceived tra traumatic event. So things like being in a home of domestic violence, um, it could be enduring and living through a natural disaster, you know, where Jocelyn lives. Last year, there were a lot of fires and that would be, that could be very, very traumatic for, for a child, even a, an adult. Um, and, you know, it could also be something that happened directly to them. If they were hurt, harmed, touched inappropriately, that can create trauma. And when we think of post-traumatic stress disorder, the symptoms that that kiddo could show look like what we just talked about. It could look like social isolation on the spectrum. It could look like attention challenges that they're not able to focus. It could look like depressive disorder um, because they, their, their feelings of hopelessness or blame for something that they were done. So PTSD is, is really important for everybody to know because the symptoms could look very differently. Um, trauma is something that we, we hold in our body and our brain. And um, yoga, mindfulness is, is, I can't tell you how impactful for somebody that's living with trauma. Um, there, there's a great book called um, The Body Keeps the Score. Um, and I know Jocelyn, you've, you've read this book and you love this book too. And if you want to learn more about how we hold in our body, our trauma, um, that's a great resource, uh, for kids that might come into your classroom. Um, triggers could be anything and you just have to be really careful. It's really up to us as teachers and caregivers, um, to make sure the environment's not only inclusive, but safe. Um, uh, we don't necessarily have time to get to know what every kid's trigger is that's walking through the door. But if you see a change in behavior, all of a sudden, when you turn on a light 
or turn off a light or close a door, that might be an indicator to you that that might be a trigger. For example, um, I had a kiddo in my office one day, I didn't realize that closing the door was a trigger. It was the first time I met the kiddo and I found out that that child had actually had a trauma of being enclosed in a small confined space for a long time. So if you see something, you can ask, ask that parent um, or the caregiver um, because we wanna make sure that we're trying to reduce as much as we can any potential triggers and to get rid of all of them is almost impossible, but being prepared on how to respond is really important too. Yeah. I mean, the mind is so fascinating. And, um, you know, for those lis listeners, everyone listening, you know, Jen and I, the first time we met, um, which I knocked at her door in Arizona, I was teaching a training in Arizona and um, she was housing me. Um, and then, you know, so funny, I was just um, happening, happened to be writing the module two manual. And then here I come into the house of a specialist. And um, basically we geeked out all night long, just talking about all this stuff. And I just find it so fascinating because, um, you know, the brain is just something we can't see. Um, and, you know, especially when I was designing this module, you know, with um, some behavioral and mood, um, you know, it's very interesting how sometimes they could even look alike depending on what it is. And especially with anxiety disorder and panic attack disorder, um, you know, sometimes and even trauma could kind of look like a kid that's maybe on the spectrum, you know. So for me, I always find that so just mind blowing how much they are like intertwined, but then also how different they really are. Mm -hmm. Some are more genetic, you know, and some are more situational or caused by events. Um, but the, the brain is an amazing, amazing organ, and it does amazing things to protect us and keep us safe from harm. So um, that, that book is great. And I could go on forever and ever about this. Um, I just love working with kids and, and learning about them. And if you could take one thing away from this, this podcast today, Jocelyn and, and listeners, I would say, don't judge a book by its cover. Every child that walks through your door is unique in some way. And all we need to do is spend time getting to know them. And they'll teach us, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, and, you know, we're actually going to end here because I think we covered the ones that I wanted to cover, but I was so excited to jump right in. I didn't even... I would love for you to just tell the listeners how you got into this field with working with kids with special needs. Well, it's been a long journey. I'm not going to tell you how many years because that will age me, but um, I always had a, a, a curiosity about the brain and why some people seem to be okay and why some people had more challenges. And I took my, my first psychology class when I was 15 years old in high school. And I just knew that that was the direction. Um, now the kids piece came a little bit later. Um, I, I've always loved kids, um, but I had never really worked with kids with special needs. I got my first job when I was about 20, working um, in a residential treatment facility with kids and uh, some really, really tough kids, kids that had really pulled the, the short 
the, the short straw. Um, but I fell in love with all of them. And that's where that, that passion came from. Because no matter where they came from, they were right in front of me for that moment. And regardless of their diagnosis and their trauma and all of these other things, there was no such thing as a bad kid. They're good kids that make bad choices. And my goal in life is as long as I can keep putting a smile on those kids' faces, I'm, I'm going in the right direction. So it's really making kids' lives better and being of service to families. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and I guess, you know, I would love to know the biggest thing you've learned from kids. Be curious. Mm. You know, I, I, I just think, you know, kids always ask, well, why? Why, mom? Why, dad? Why, why is the sky blue? And I think sometimes as grownups, we stop asking. Hi. And uh, I'm going to have I, just, you, I love I love their curiosity. You, you you cut out. Sometimes as grown-ups we stop asking. Yeah, sometimes we stop asking and kids remind us every day to be curious. Curious to learn, curious to grow, curious to give and just curious on how we can be the best version of us. Mm. So be curious. Yes. And I think if you um, are going to um, have the passion to work with children, then that's just a necessity. You got to be curious, you know, you got to keep that, um, that curiosity and that lightheartedness. Oh, and they also teach me to lighten up. My, <laughs> people in my life tell me sometimes I'm too serious. Oh, yeah. And then I get with a group of kids and play Play-Doh and all sorts of fun games and you know, they tell me, they teach me to lighten up all the time. Oh, yeah. Fun. My dear Capricorn friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they balance me out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so thank you. Thank you. And um, for those of you that are listening, again, I know we just went through this in a very casual, full of information way, but next um, podcast in two weeks, we are going to be talking about sequencing and special exercises for all the disorders that we talked about today. Um, and we'll really go into um, the ins and outs and how to actually make that workable, especially if you're doing privates with a, kids with, uh, a kid with special needs, or if you were in a classroom with kids with special needs. And um, and I think it's just good for you to know too, what kind of, you know, I always tell teachers in the training, you know, we're figuring out what's the age bracket people want to work with. But sometimes people will just be like, oh, I want to work with kids with special needs. And it's like, well, okay, what special needs are you talking about? And really getting um, clear on that as well. Because sometimes, I mean, this happened to me at the very beginning of my career, like 20 years ago, where I had a class with special needs and literally um, parents, it was like through the community center, they literally just, yeah, they didn't specify. And so it ended up being a class with 
every different kind of special needs, a lot of different physical special needs, a lot of different behavioral, um, developmental. And um, that was very um, interesting. It was a very, very good um, learning experience for me um, of how I was going to navigate that. Um, so I, so, um, so yeah, I, I just want teachers to have a little overview and be, you know, tuning into that within yourself. Like if, if, if special needs is calling to your heart, um, then just getting specific on which ones are calling to your heart. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, again, I love you, Jen. Love you too, Jocelyn, and thank you for having me on again. Yeah, you're welcome. And I'm probably going to bring you back for the next, you know, for the sequencing and exercises because I would love for Yay, you Yay, I get to come back. Yeah, no, I mean, I would love for you to talk about like the different mindfulness exercises that you have used and like more of a therapist um, therapy setting um, and and also just like in the group setting, working more as a therapist um, versus a yoga teacher. And then how we've combined that um, in our work with we yogis. Yay. Sounds okay. great. Looking forward to it. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, please subscribe, review, um, and write any questions that you have. I'm also going to put in the links below information about Jennifer Brummett. So if you have any questions for her, you could always reach out to her directly. And um, I look forward to um, being with you here on the We Yogis podcast. Love you guys. Bye.
Yes, we do. We love you. We love you. you. <laughs>